In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three sixteen. That's right, three sixteen. Massive episode. Why is it massive when it's not a round number or a quarter number or something like that? Well, I'll tell you. This is our episode covering Green Lantern Earth One, the long-awaited graphic novel um, in the Earth One line series from DC. Uh, previously, we've had Superman Earth-1, Batman Earth-1, Wonder Woman Earth-1, and, and a couple smatterings of Volume 2s and 3s out of those, as well as Titans Earth-1. And now we have our fourth installment with Green Lantern Earth-1. No, oh, fifth. Fifth. Fifth installment. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Whatever why... Chad just said, forget about it. No, <laughs> fifth. Fifth installment. Um, there have been others... Rumored or announced, it doesn't. I, I think I've saw like Aquaman and Flash, um, but this is the latest and greatest to come out of it. Well, we're reviewing this for you guys tonight, but does that make it a massive episode in and of itself? No. We decided it wouldn't be enough just to review it. We had to talk with the creative team behind it. So in this episode, not only are you going to hear Mark and I review this uh, new graphic novel. We are going to interview the creative team after our first break. So hold on to your butts. <laughs> you want to try, try their names, Chad? <laughs> that, that, that will be uh, something you'll be aware, made aware of later on in the episode. So you have something to look forward to. I'm people. sorry, Chad. I couldn't have walked into that. Go, no, 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 no. You go ahead, Mark. How do you say their names? <laughs> Gabriel Hardman, Karina Becko. <laughs> I'm an idiot. It that's what. That's like what. That... Echo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I'm done. I mean, she told me like whatever. Uh, We're. Only, I'm only kidding. I'm really. I, don't I, need to I think we. Up. I think over the course of it, we endeared ourselves to them. So I think I. I think all is forgiven. <laughs> we'll see. If, if they come back, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is this? Uh, this is this is uh, uh, a great interview uh, that we had with them. Uh, that you'll be listening to later on in the episode. Not only was it a fantastic interview, and Gabriel and Karina were fantastic to talk to and and very forthcoming, but also this is an official, uh, officially approved interview uh, from DC Comics. So we uh, we I spoke with the publicity department at DC, and they set this up for us, and uh, they were very, very, very kind in that process. So shout out to. Uh, to DC uh, and arranging this interview for us. Uh, and uh, hopefully we get to do it again. Uh, so 
uh, <laughs> with Gabriel and Karina. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Gabriel and Karina, uh, if need be. So, um, so, the, so all is, right. So this is no back alley interview on a burner phone, people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're we're not tr- we're not trading uh, we're not trading DC comic secrets over the the barrel fire. <laughs> All right, whatever. Let's go. Uh, we're gonna hop right into it. You, you, you got anything you want to say before I uh, launch into this uh, quick synopsis here? No, this has just been a very fun. This has been a fun episode already. So let's just roll, baby. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh, and before we launch into the the, the recap of this uh, awesome graphic novel, gotta let you guys know spoilers. Okay, we 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 don't know how to talk about something without spoiling it because that's just too. Why have an episode <laughs> if we're not going to spoil it? So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. You've been warned, and I'll launch into this <laughs> now that you've been warned. I'll launch into the the recap. Uh, so it was uh, written by Gabriel and Karina with art by Gabriel. Now colors for the rest of the creative team were by Jordan Boyd. Letters by Simon. Uh, Bo, uh, Boland and cover by Gabriel and then Jordan Boyd as well. So, um, guys, uh, for listeners of the show, sticking with our new format of uh, recaps and reviews, uh, I'm just going to do a, a quick synopsis here. I'm not going to go super deep into detail. Uh, I'm just going to essentially page through it and hit the hit the highlights so that we're not giving away too much, uh, but we're not missing any of the the main points of the story. So we open up in space. Hal Jordan is part of a uh, asteroid mining sort of business run by Ferris. Um, and during this uh, mining, he comes across a ship. And in the ship, we see a uh, an alien, desiccated alien, as well as a manhunter. Uh, they discover a battery and a ring on the, on this alien, who is purple, so... We're just going to go ahead and call him Abin Sir. Uh, <laughs> Poor Abin. Uh, yeah. Abin is always dead. <laughs> never never alive long. Uh, so, Abin is always dead, and Krona is always an asshole. Volkov, I believe, is, if I'm saying that right, I'm not yes. very good with Russian. Yes. Uh, Volkov is his, uh, his partner out there on the asteroid. He grabs the ring and the battery uh, before the ship falls off a cliff. Uh, they get in a little kind of jump ship to go back to kind of their their team. Um, but while they're in that, uh, Volkov puts the ring on. It sparks up, explodes the little jump ship that they're on. Hal reaches out to Volkov to try and save him, but he ends up grabbing onto the ring. It slides off of Volkov's finger, and he tumbles out into space, of course, uh, asphyxiating and, and no longer living. Um, <laughs> uh, but... The ring in his hand, Hal lights up. Um, his crew won't let him in because, you know, they, they're not sure what the dangers are of radiation, so on and so forth. During this process, the Manhunter awakens and attacks Hal. Hal goes toe-to-toe with the Manhunter, and they fight, and Hal destroys the Manhunter and passes out. When he wakes up, he is greeted by a pig-faced alien, sort of. We all know and love Kilowog from on Bolivax Vic. Um, Kilowog tells him the history of a history of the Green Lantern Corps, such as he knows it, um, and uh, asks Hal to train him. And that's when Hal reveals, "What the hell are you talking about? I just found this thing." 
And Kilowog can't believe it because nobody's been able to take out a Manhunter. <laughs> For you to be able to take out a Manhunter, I thought you must be trained. Um, well, this Bolivax Vic that we're on, this version of Bolivax Vic, is very xenophobic for the most part. They keep to themselves. They don't leave the planet, and they don't allow aliens on the planet. So Kilowog says, you know, I'm happy to help you. I don't necessarily agree with them, but these are the rules, and once you're better, I need you to get out of here. Um, but Hal says, before I go anywhere, I'm a pilot. I'm not taking any machinery into the sky until I know everything about it, so I need you to teach me everything you know. Kilowog does so. But eventually they get caught, and when they get caught, coincidence or not, the Manhunters arrive on Bolivax Vic and take out Kilowog's lab. Kilowog gets hurt in the fight. They fly off planet uh, How in, with Kilowog in tow. Kilowog gets mad at him for this when he comes to, leaves Hal. Hal stumbles on uh, a, you know a, another civilization who also had a Green Lantern. That's when Kilowog comes back. They agree that they're going to go and try and find other lanterns so that they can take the fight to Bolivax Vic and the Manhunters and save Kilowog's planet. They find other lanterns, somewhat. They run into a lantern named Aresia, um, uh, who says, uh, it, because in this new universe, of course, the, the ring can be picked up and used by anybody. Um, so she says... Just because you have those rings doesn't mean your lanterns, you're just thieves. Uh, and then they say, no, we're here to get some help. She doesn't agree to help, and they continue on their way. They run into another alien who tells them another history of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, one that puts the Guardians at fault for the Manhunters because um, the um, they believe that the Manhunters were created to wipe out the Green Lantern Corps because they had grown too powerful. Uh, it turns out after Kilowog and Hal leave, that this individual also has a lantern ring, but just isn't using it. Um, <clears throat> then uh, eventually their rings run out of juice while they're on this little transport out in space. That's when the Manhunters invade, take some slaves, Hal gets taken to the slave planet, does, wakes up, doesn't know where Kilowog is. Um, his ring's out of juice, so he can't translate the what's going on. He's essentially slave labor mining this planet. But one day he's out near this dome, and his ring cops a brief charge, and suddenly he can start understanding everybody around him again. So he's like, okay, well, what's in this? As he goes to find out, his ring still does have a charge, so an alien confronts him, and he fights back, fires at him. And um, uh, this draws the attention of this woman alien who takes Hal aside and says, you know, is that ring what I think it is? Well, let's, you know, and Hal explains, he got a charge when I was by this dome. I need to get in there. So they come up with a plan to do that. But when Hal wakes up in the morning, she has taken the ring for herself. He has to go find her. She's trying to use it to get into the dome. She gets caught by the Manhunters, killed by the Manhunters. Hal drills into the dome and charges up from what is revealed in this dome is the central power battery. It was never destroyed. Uh, it was always been under lock and key, essentially, by the Manhunters. Uh, this planet, we, uh, according to what Hal finds out earlier, is this is the planet that he's on being used as slave labor by the Manhunters is Oa. Um, 
So he plugs into the main central power battery to cop a charge, and suddenly he gets communicated to by a guardian. A guardian who says the following, uh, <laughs> I was, I am a scientist. Which, and he's bald, so we're going to say Krona, but we don't know for sure, so don't quote us. Um, especially when you get to later on in the book. Um, Krona relays another, we're going to, like I said, we're just going to call him Krona. Krona relays another history of the Green Lantern Corps. That the Green Lantern Corps and the Manhunters, the Manhunters were created, and Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, do you get the vibe that they're almost according to quote-unquote Krona's story, that the, these Manhunters in his story were created almost like Alpha Lanterns? Essentially. I think that would probably be a good analogy. Because so he, he says some Lanterns were dot, 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 unpredictable. And so we created the Manhunters. They were built to serve and protect. So they are essentially the police for the police, which is what the Alpha Lanterns were. Um, and then they turned on him. Uh, so we've had three histories of the Green Lantern Corps for the most part. So what Krona does is he essentially has, tells him, you know, hey, we need to destroy them. He gives them this plan like, to create a feedback loop, so on and so forth. Um, that's Hal's new mission. Hal, now with a fully charged ring, takes on some Manhunters and then sends out a distress call to any and all beings wearing a ring. Uh, he's getting beaten on by these land, uh, man hunters when Kilowog shows up in response to the distress call to help him out. Hal says, go, <laughs> go in there and recharge off the central power battery. Um, and that's when all the other lanterns, uh, the Aresia we saw, Salak, it looks like, uh, and a few others show up, including the gentleman that, uh, whose name I forget. It starts with a V, I think, right? Why am I forgetting his name? Because I'm bad with names, as we learn later in this episode. <laughs> is this the prison guy? No, 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 no. Uh, Vecca. Vecca. That's his name. Oh, okay. uh, Vecca. Um, Vecca's there. Hal tells them his plan to create a feedback loop, which will destroy the power battery, but also destroy the Manhunters and, I guess, you know, kind of uh, anyone in the... Basically destroy Oa. A being that looks a lot like Sinestro says, yes, if this is possible, we must. And then Hal says it'll kill the thousands of innocent slaves down in the mines. He's like, it's a small price for the face of our homes, our families, freedom from the Manhunters, so on and so forth. And then another Lantern speaks up with an alternate plan. Hal takes that plan. They, uh, implement, uh, they implement it, and Oa is still standing. And so is the central power battery, but all the manhunters in the area are are done, uh, except for the ones down in the mine. So they go into the mines to take care of them. Vecca is killed in the process. He hands his ring to Hal and says, pass the ring on and, and please help. He says, I'll try. Hal gets all the slaves off of Oa. And then later on in other systems, Hal hands the ring off to somebody else. Uh, Kilowog says, how do you know she's worthy? He says, I don't. We're all just doing the best we can, and I bet she will too. <clears throat> Salak, uh, again, none of these people are actually 100% named other than Aresia and Vecca so, and Kilowog, so I'm just going based on looks here. Salak says, these people have to be taken home first, but what then? 
they say we need to secure our home planets. They say, okay, well, what if, you know, we need help? We call for help. But what if we all can't come? Who decides what? They elect Aresia as the leader. Um, later on, Kilowog and Hal go back to Volobak's Vic to help out. Hal flies off. And then elsewhere, we see someone viewing the destroyed uh, Oa and says, Sir, what happens now? And the Guardian, who, again, quote-unquote Krona, says, If only he'd done as I asked, but they were always too willful, that was their problem. They think they know best when they know nothing at all. That uncontrolled blast from the central battery would have removed all of our problems, Manhunter and Lantern alike. The path would be clear for my return. No matter, I designed those green rings many years ago. This time, I did a much better job. And we see a yellow power battery and a bunch of people in front of it hoisting above their heads yellow rings. Back outside the soul system, uh, which is our solar system, Hal finds the wreckage of the jump ship, buries Volkov, and takes his uh, battery back. Then over on planet Earth, at the headquarters of Ferris Galactic, Hal shows up to uh, speak with uh, his captain and says, she says, you picked a hell of a time to come back. Our whole team is grounded. They actually threatened to arrest me. Hal says, I'm not surprised. Looks like we have a lot of work to do here at home. Now we have the tools to help. The end. Hal Jordan, nomad. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? I liked it. I, I did like it. I thought, uh, I thought it was an interesting story. I like, I like the fact that see if you're gonna get a, like a if you're gonna start playing around with the Green Lantern mythos, obviously a book like this is just perfect to do it because it basically is like an alternate timeline and an alternate universe. So you can have different origins, you can tweak different things about Green Lantern, and it's not a, and it's not gonna it's not gonna rattle the cage as much. Uh, so I did I did like that. I most most of the art I really really liked. I like Kilowog, especially Kilowog was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of got used to the different look on Hal because he doesn't really look you he doesn't really look traditionally Hal like. I think in a, lot, in a lot of ways. He's handsome, but he's not pretty boy. No, and it's just, yeah, it's just his overall look. And even when he you know, and obviously their quote unquote uniforms are not really anything close to what we're what we're used to. I did actually like I said I did. Semi-joking, I did kind of like it once he grew the beard and kind of looked like the Chris Evans Captain Am- Infinity War Captain America, so I kind of like that look a little bit more. And I really like the relationship between him and Kilowog that was driving the the whole story, so I like that. Yeah, I liked I liked a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I it's it's part of the Earth One line. I'm still <laughs> maybe I'm just a a, a stuck in the mud sort of fan, but I still wish they would have called all these sort of things, just Elseworlds. Because, I mean, they had a perfect brand, so it would have been cool to just still see them labeled as Elseworlds and continue that line and, and that options, especially now that the multiverse is back. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, it's it's a, it makes sense. The Earth One, uh, they're never published in single issues. It's always a graphic novel line. So, I mean, if anything was going to have its own separate uh, name um, outside of the umbrella that is Elseworlds, a graphic novel first original uh, series uh, or universe would would make sense. So I'm not going to give it too much hell for that. 
Um, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I mentioned it later on. Um, I was initially concerned about the idea that anybody could just pick up and wield a ring, but it, it and I don't want to, you know, kind of spoil the content of our own interview, but it does make, it, it makes sense later on. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, so, you know, the idea that anybody can pick up and wield a ring, I didn't like, but in the confines of what we know of this universe, it makes sense and I have no problem with it. Um, so that, that was cool. I, I, I really agree with you. Hal and Kilowog's uh, relationship came off really well. Uh, he's a scientist in here, which which makes sense because um, uh, am I, is this pre or post crisis? When were they When were they living on Earth when there was only just a few lanterns? Was that pre crisis? That was right around crisis. So I can't remember if it was exactly yeah, pre or post crisis. I can't, I can't remember if that was. Right, right after or right before, yeah. Well, right there in like the fresh out of or fresh or we're about to head into crisis era of the first crisis, crisis on infinite earth. Um, Kilo, there was only a few lanterns and they were all based on Earth. Kilowog was an engineer essentially, and he was responsible for creating the Rocket Reds. Um, so Kilowog has had a science background back then. He has a science background, um, a bit too, um, when in the, that Green Lantern, the animated series, right? He's got a bit of a science background there. I think so. Uh, so it, it's not completely out of left field for Kilowog to be other, be something other than just the big bruiser. And I like that he kind of becomes <laughs> the trainer by default. <laughs> uh, so that was cool too. Um, I like the choices uh, for the lanterns that we see. I like sort of the old, wizened, curmudgeon dude that sort of gave up on this, but, you know, kind of sees the light at the end when Hal calls for help. You know, because Hal has reignited hope. The battery's back. It's still here. There are other lanterns. Oh, my God. And then you like Aresia. I really like the hard turn for Aresia, too. Now, this Aresia says, I was named for my right. mother. So maybe that Aresia was the kind of bubbly one that we, we all know. Um, but I like that Aresia was kind of the hard ass. Uh, I, I, th- I thought that was really cool. And it was cool to see the other characters, you know, the shout outs to, um, to, to Salak, to Sinestro. Um, when Kilowog is telling his version of the history of the Green Lantern Corps, you see some silhouettes back there, and it looks like you can see Metaphil, and you can see Tomar Ray. Um, I think it almost looks like you can see Kat Matui, right? I think so. I, 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 so, just, I remember Tomar. Tomar is one of the one that's obviously stood out. And, uh, and, and Metaphil is further in the background, but you can see the leaves and stuff. <clears throat> But um, no, I really liked it. I, you know, some some people, you know, any other story, I would say, uh, throwing in things like the slave labor camp or something like that was like a different turn, and maybe we shouldn't spend much time on there. But because this is a a graphic novel of the length that it is, nothing felt too rushed. Nothing felt 100% unnecessary, especially when you get to the idea that anybody can pick up a ring, but not everybody's suited to a ring. Um, so when you see Hal without his powers, but he's still striving to push forward and, and do these things, and 
and the woman who steals his ring is immediately killed. <laughs> you know, she's clearly not suited to use it. I, I, I like seeing how powerless and enslaved and stuff like this, but still fighting. So that really made you believe in him as a character. And of course, I like the, the setup and the shoutouts to what could come in the future. Yes. Are we assuming... Okay, first of all, there's a lot of assumptions we're making in terms of names of people that could be Krona. Is he... Do we think he's uh, in the antimatter universe on Quard? Probably. Okay. Because they talk about his return, so... Yeah. Again, all speculation, guys. That's not actually said. Uh, But knowing what we know, that's probably Krona, and he's probably in the antimatter universe, so... Which makes me wonder if the person who's talking to him is a weaponer or a thunderer. Probably. Um, Some of those finer points I mentioned, anything you wanted to to add on to there? Uh, I just sort of rambled. No, you didn't (laughs) ramble. You did a a fine job. Um, I I liked when when their rings ran out of charge and everything and and I like that was kind of like a that kind of gave me a throwback also to the uh, animated show too, but that great episode oh, yeah. when yeah when <laughs> when nobody can understand each other anymore because <laughs> their rings came have lost the translation capability. Uh, I did I did like that. Uh, I I did like the car the the Carol Farrell Ferris excuse me the Carol Ferris references about the how. She she she's not exactly a hands-on boss. So whenever she so everybody whenever she actually does reach out to do something directly, people are stunned. Really, her herself? <laughs> she called you? It's like it's like wow. <laughs> it's worth noting that we see nothing of Hal's personal life, and we don't see Carol herself. This is this is right. entirely a cosmic yep. story. Oh, and at the beginning, uh, we are, are informed that Hal has been in space for eight years. He has not set foot on terra firma <laughs> for eight years. And I like the fact that he's been he's been he's been working so long and he's been around so long that obviously NASA is a it's something that's a long time ago in the past. But yet there's almost like this little mythology about NASA. Oh, it just sounded so cool. However, that's phrased. It's like it's the fact that Hal used to be used to be with NASA and now, of course, now he's just mining out there. But still that. That, just the way things have changed, and yet, but yet NASA, you know, in these space exploration days, if you will, still has a certain amount of, even if it's you know, kind of like romanticized, it still has certain a certain kind of appeal to people. I did kind of like yeah, that and, too. Yeah, and and you can see that Hal sort of carries some guilt or some some uh, intense feelings about that era of his life because later on, and I'll just read it outright. Uh, Hal says, uh, "It's my fault." I thought, I don't know, I thought I'd learned my lesson about trusting people, aliens, whatever, same thing. Back on Earth, I trusted people I shouldn't have. I didn't speak up when I should have. Then things went wrong, really wrong. I was suppo- I worked on what was supposed to be an orbital platform for launching deep space exploration missions, but that's not what it was used for. They called it a defense platform, Arrowhead. But it's not defense when you fire the missiles at your own people. Some very bad people used that incident to grab power. I felt like there was nothing I could do, so I ran away. So. That's cool. Yes, it is. 
Uh, what did you think about? Uh, we 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 touched we touched a bit on the art, but what did you think about the art throughout it? Anything you wanted to point out overall, or, or you mentioned like in Kilowog, so that was cool. What did you think of like the redesigns of the Manhunters? A little bulky for my taste, but not bad. I think I think I, got, I think it grew on me as the story as the story played out. The uniqueness kind of I kind of appreciated it. Uh, I also kind of I kind of like the uh, I kind of like the Krona look too. Uh, yeah. Even without the mustache. <laughs> Assuming it is Krona, of course, which we assume, but we don't know that it's. Uh, I did kind of like the little space suit and thing that he had on. I I I, I like that. Uh, I did kind of like the reverse of the Manhunters, the the origin of the Manhunters, and when they existed in the timeline. I kind of like that being reversed, the, them coming after the Green Lantern Corps. What do you think? Uh, what do you think of those? Because we get three origins, essentially. Of course, Kilowogs is like a very tertiary one. But what do you think is the real one? I, 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 if it's Krona, you know, I'm inclined to not believe his take on events. Um, so do we think that Vecca, Vecca's origin is the real one? It's probably the closest. Uh, it's probably the closest. Now, it could all, I mean, it, Krona could be behind the whole thing. Krona could have basically... In his quest for power, could basically have set everything in motion on purpose to kill everybody, including his fellow guardians. But if, but if you want to assume that, well, which is a big assumption, I can't, I, I can't go that far and assume he wouldn't do that or he didn't do that. I certainly think that the guardians, even if it, whether it's Krona or whether the guardians as a collective made made a decision, maybe manipulated by Krona, that I think that the guardians probably were responsible for creating the Manhunters and. But with the goal of either keeping the Green Lanterns in line and/or the subtext of potentially or probably replacing them, so I think that's probably the most likely and believable origin that we get. Yeah. You know what? Art-wise, I'll, I'll point out is I like a lot of the larger panels that focus on a single character, like when we see Kilowog for the first time, for example. That's a cool shot of Kilowog. Um, Stuff like that, uh, panels that are laid out like that. But you know, I really like, I like the way Gabriel does space. Yeah, the space li- scenes are really nice. The space scenes of him on the asteroid, of him fighting that Manhunter one on one, those things, like when they're out in the black, that is really cool looking. Especially when once you get to the the fight between him and, or not just the fight, but Hal having the ring and the ring sparking up. You know that. And I guess you know, shout out to to uh, Jordan Boyd, the colorist here, um, too, with the brilliance of the green against that black because it just really stands out. Um, and it's not just like the tight aura that you have around lanterns nowadays. It's almost like a human torch sort of right, thing. Yeah, where just, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, he's kind of on fire with that with that power. It's it's not just close knit around him. Uh, it's it's kind of fire meets electricity in a way. Um, the way it comes sparking off of him, so that's really cool looking. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, I just I, I just really enjoyed it. Um, I like kind of the setup that we have for the future, but it's it's not so much setup that you're you automatically assume is going to be a volume two because it uh it 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 does feel like its own self-contained story 
like from here, you know, and then Hal became a Green Lantern and protected Earth. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so that was really cool about it. Did it live up to expectations? I, f- I feel like uh, uh, Green Lantern fans have been looking forward to this for a while. I know that, you know, our friends over at the Dr. DC podcast, you know, have, have really been looking forward to it for quite a while. So you feel like it met expectations or, or you know, was, was worth the wait? I think for me it met expectations. I think it did whatever whatever preconceived notions I had or expectations of this of this graphic novel before it came out, I certainly think it, it, it met it. it. It probably exceeded it in all honesty, but I think at the very least it met it. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I have, um, I have Superman Earth 1, 1 and 2, and I have Batman Earth 1 and 1 and, 1 and 2. I don't have any of the others, uh, the Wonder Woman or the Titans. Um, I don't know if did they do Superman Earth One or Batman Earth One Volume Three. I feel like they might have. They could have. You're barking up the wrong tree here. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, but I, I read those four: the the two Superman and the two Batman, and I feel like this is a nice fit in there. Um, the the Earth One series, uh, I, I like it because. There's really not a whole lot of connection between the books for the most part. Uh, they're all their own sort of self-contained universe. They don't necessarily have to all play take place in the same universe, according to what I've heard. Um, the Earth One line could could be it's rather than there, there being like you know Morrison's map to the multiverse, there being an Earth One um, universe in in the fifty two. Uh, the, the, they could all just be kind of their own thing, uh, is what I've heard. Um, but I, I, I feel like tonally, it's not like, you know, it's not like they took a huge departure. All, all of these, you know, there, it's, it all feels like, you know, the origins are roughly the same, but certain things are tweaked. So it's, I feel like it really fits that mold really well. I agree. I think so. For sure, and I'm looking forward to to a volume two. So DC, get on that. We're 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 looking forward to. It. Do you think Do you think the volume two will? I mean, based on this setup, do you think volume two will be um, something akin to Sinestro Core War? That's what I would assume. Hmm. Uh, keyword of the episode, apparently. I would think that that's probably going to be where they where they would go go with it, but. And and you know knowing what we know based on our conversation that listeners will hear pretty soon about uh, Karina and uh, and uh, Gabriel, what do you think the differences would be? Because I mean you you don't want them to just obviously rehash Sinestro Core War, but just within the confines of of this new universe. You'd you'd expect them to do something different. What, what would you kind of hope to see in the next volume? Well, I think I mean they kind of set. I think they kind of set a little bit of... It would be different to begin with because obviously Sinestro just had a different idea of what order would be. So Krona could have a... He could kind of be like that too. But I think the fact that... The, the fact that they specifically played up the fact that more or less that he kind of like... He mastered or has... Whatever knowledge he had when he created the Green Lantern rings that now he's, he's kind of like mastered it and taken it to another level. So it's the idea that... That this guardian, 
whether it's Krona or not, may simply be where it could be they... What that ring does and what it's capable of seems to be... This may not be just tapping into yellow, which we assume is fear, that it may just be that the rings themselves, maybe the rings are... Maybe they supplant will and the individuality more. So maybe they're like... Maybe they're kind of like living manhunters. Maybe that's why... So they don't... So that would cut down on the, the being to predict not being you know predictable enough mm-hmm. uh, and things like that so maybe it so it depends and it, it so it depends I think it opens the door for what what Krona's goal could be whether it's just uh, the guardian's goal just to is he just power hungry because he wants to rule the universe is he is it a little bit of Sinestro, a little bit of Sinestro's motives of trying to to establish and maintain order in a different way at the same time kind of flipping the bird to the people that doubted you and tried and told, and wouldn't let you do things the way you wanted. I'm just I'm just I'm just intrigued. And now obviously depending on how far in the future this conflict takes place it'll be interesting to see where the Green Lantern Corps is compared to where they were and what the rep, you know and what so I don't know. I I think there's a lot of I think they could go in a lot of different ways that would not make it a make it a pure, you know, pure rehash. You know, I I think too, um, another interesting thing, it might, it it could alienate some people or piss them off, but what if they just don't, for volume two, uh, assuming it's the same creative team and everything, uh, and a volume two is announced, what if, what if that volume two doesn't pick up on this Corona thing? And that's saved for like volume three. What, what, what would be interesting to me is maybe exploring a bit of the the Earth stuff because Hal says now we have the tools to help and it's very clear that Hal feels sort of responsible for the way the world is now because the wrong people took power. Um, in fact, when you when he when when his captain comes out of that meeting before he calls her aside uh, over there on that billboard, you say. You see, uh, let's see, where's that? Colonel Jask, for a future without fear. And I don't know about you, but that looks very non-democracy to me. Uh, Because it says corporate headquarters of Ferris Galactic, Boca Raton, Florida. So this is is a billboard within the U.S. uh, promoting a world leader, it looks like. So... Would it, I wonder if it would be interesting to see how sort of I don't know about I don't know how it would work of course because I'm not the writer but you know kind of trying to fix his world or trying to you know fix the mistake he made as a result of uh, him not saying anything the wrong people took control and he sees that as his fault so now he's trying to put the right people back in control um, I wonder if, if that would be an interesting story to see. And then volume three, you get you, you get what you've been building too with Krona and this uh, quote unquote Sinestro core. Well, it could be it could be interesting just from the perspective of what you were talking about, just because it, in a way it sets Hal up to be almost like doing he he is Sinestroizing Earth in, in a different way or taking yeah. it out of role. So taking it from a, again from a parallax, it, it, as in looking at it from a different point of view, uh, seeing seeing the world in a different way, it would kind of be interesting to kind of see that kind of story, uh, him trying to right the wrongs, and depending on where that would take him, whether he, you know, whether it would take him in a a potential start him down a Sinestro-like path, even without, even with, 
even without realizing it. So I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways. That, there's a lot of different aspects of that that could make it a an interesting story. I think. For sure. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about it before we uh, take or go to our first break and come back with that interview? No, I think I think I think you did a good you did a really good job uh, recapping. It, it was it was fun and certainly certainly is more fun than a lot of the stuff we've been reading lately. I would say that <laughs> this was an ongoing. This would be an interesting read. It's a breath of fresh air, guys. Yes. Thanks so much for giving it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a quick promotional break. You'll hear some promos for some of uh, our fellow podcasters. And when we come back, our interview with the creative team behind Green Lantern Earth One. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. From fetid swamps to creepy castles. The Podcasting Hour is your home for horror on the Fire and Water Network. Join me, PJ Frightful, on this quarterly anthology podcast that gazes into the mysterious and terrifying shadows of DC Comics. The moon is full and the bell tolls for midnight. Whether it's brightest day or blackest night, you should be listening to the Lantern Cast. Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Berg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004 Doom Patrol Volume 4 Burn Shush 2009 Doom Patrol Volume 5 Giffen Clark 2012 2013 2014 2015 2016 Waiting for Doom The Doom Patrol Podcast Because we're waiting Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. This is John Stewart, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, and you are listening to The Lantern Cast. All right, guys, we are back from break, and as promised, we have an extremely special interview for, for you guys. We have the creative team behind the Green Lantern Earth 1 Volume 1 graphic novel, Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bechko. I got that right, right? No, you didn't. Becko. I didn't. Becko. Becko like Echo. Becko. Not Becko like Echko. You know what? 
You know what? We will. Yeah. We, we're going to leave that in there because yeah. we're notorious. Yeah, <laughs> we're 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 flawed people, and we're just going to leave but, that in. I'm Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the part where you weren't close at all, you were pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know that sounds about right. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for doing oh, this. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, we we wanted to to kick things off right away. Uh, Mark, you you had a question you wanted to ask them right out of the gate. Okay. Uh, first you threw me a curveball because I knew you had your question, but now I know what you meant. So. <laughs> <laughs> Live recording, people. Um, so basically, Professionalism right that, out the window. That's right. No, we're still being professional, even though you couldn't remember her name, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chad. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to live this down. No, All right, go will. ahead. No, you will, real quickly. Uh, so the, the initial question I had was very simple. What intrigued you about this project, and how did you guys get it? Well, I mean, it was uh, it was actually something that we brought to them. I mean, at least the idea of doing a Green Lantern book was something we brought to them. The, um, we had been uh, pitching a different book to DC that then didn't happen for various reasons like they do. And uh, we wrote a call with uh, Dan DiDio and Christy Quinn, our editor, and um, we uh, and they had said, oh, well, if you want to pitch anything else and. I just sort of blurted out, you know, how about a Green Lantern book, you know, and uh, uh, and, you know, I having no real idea what, you know, what that would mean. And uh, but Dan was like, oh, well, what, what about an Earth One book? Uh, you know, why don't you work up a pitch for that? And, you know, we did. It was actually relatively simple compared to the circuitous route a lot of pitches go. And uh, and it was really just it was a lot based on. Uh, wanting to do something that was uh, kind of a science fiction oriented book. It's got space, it's got aliens, it's got other worlds and, you know, uh, and that felt like a big canvas and something that we could uh, kind of sink our teeth into. Yeah, it feels like, you know, the other Earth One titles, you said you, you'd kind of created a, a Green Lantern pitch initially and then sort of had to edit it a bit to do the Earth One like Dan asked. It feels like all the other Earth One titles are more terrestrial based. You had, you know, for those who've read it, the Starfire stuff happening with the Titans. You have Wonder Woman and and her mythos in there. You have, of course, Superman being a Kryptonian. But it seems like largely this is an untapped side of, I guess, if we want to call it this new corner of the DC multiverse. Um, It's the entire cosmic playing field is is at your (laughs) at, at your fingertips. So. What led you to decide to make the the changes to some of the characters that you made or choose some of the characters that you did in terms of the races, the alien races you wanted to throw in there and the various lanterns that you pulled? Well, I guess that uh, part of it really is that some of the other ones are very terrestrial, if you will. So this was a good uh, opportunity to explore more, um, you know, a, a bigger uh yeah, as you said, canvas with the different races. And it was really a lot of fun to sort of dip into that. And we pulled out just kind of our favorites and uh, people that we wanted to spend time with. And um, that sort of led to reinventing a little bit just because our world of this is a little different than what some of the other continuity is, since this is a totally new reimagining of it. But hopefully it's works for people that know the mythos and can recognize some of the characters. Yeah. And it also is, you know, I mean, to a degree, you know, we're not just, um, 
you know, uh, changing the characters around for the hell of it. I mean, a, a lot of this is about the circumstances that they've come up in in this world that are so different from the one that you would recognize otherwise, you know, and that, um, you know, and and the idea that that people could just be shaped by the, um, uh, you know, by these these very different circumstances. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that uh, but as far as the choice of the characters, uh, you know, I've always liked Kilowog as a character. I, you know, we, we have a very different approach to him, but, um, and, uh, you know, Aresia is somebody that, uh, I remember, you know, from, you know, 80s Green Lantern comics and, uh, you know, and, but we just, but, you know, we didn't go into it with the idea that we're going to subvert these characters for no reason, you know, but, uh, but obviously the, you know, the versions are, are quite different, but that's also the point of this book. The point of the book is to do something and of that, all Earth One books. Yeah, that's what I mean. Of, yeah. of these books is to approach it in a different way. I mean, the, the other books already exist, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. So following on that, <laughs> um, I actually had a question about Kilowog and how, but I think you kind of, you kind of sort of, Maybe we'll go back to it, but I think you kind of probably answered that. So my a question I had, I, that one of the things that hit me just when I read this book, like if I was like approaching doing an Earth, like any kind of Earth One book or anything, basically the question was, so when you knew you, when you did your pitch for and, and you knew you were going to be doing this book, were there certain things that you absolutely knew that you wanted to do differently, and as in th- and some certain things that you knew that had been done before you absolutely didn't didn't want to do? And some things that had never been done that you wanted to do. Were there any specific beats that you knew right away that, yeah, I want to do this because it hasn't been done before, or I definitely don't want to do this because it's been done to death? There are a lot of tears in that question. (laughs) (laughs) I I do what I can. Uh, We'll we'll try to handle it. Um, The uh, what. First, I mean, I think that one of the things that we knew that we didn't want to do was the oath. Uh, and we also knew that we didn't want the, the rings to be, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we we be a tool and not, not a fantastical. Yeah. Well, we didn't want the the more, more so we didn't want the, um, the lanterns to be chosen because I mean, those are, it's kind of a simple change in a way, but it's a huge change for, uh, you know, compared to the other stuff compared to the, you know, uh, the canon in continuity stuff. And uh, but it but it shifts everything, you know, it shifts how you approach everything dramatically and storytelling wise. And and uh, and so uh, that seemed like a good opportunity because we're trying to tell a, a different version of this kind of story. So, I mean, if and so and so shifting that made made it more about uh, the characters needing to live up to the potential, you know, live up to the responsibility of having the ring uh, rather than being people who are uh you know, who, who already have it in them and, uh, you know, and are chosen by the, you know, by the ring. So, I mean, I, and I, I think that, uh, that was, that was the biggest thing that we knew we wanted to change about yeah, that it. That was sort of our starting point. Yeah. Because that was just by that one sort of almost a philosophical change. It, yeah. it makes the whole thing a lot more, um, just sort of a, a differentiates it from stuff that's gone before. Not that anything else we didn't like. Or yeah, yeah, no, it just makes it advanced. more we about just wanted to do something right. different in keeping with the Earth One books. And it makes it more about the personal responsibility of the characters, which is is always a really dramatic thing to deal with. Yeah, I really like that aspect of it. I mean, I, I I feel like I can be candid with you guys as Green Lantern fans. When we first heard it would be a, a ring that anybody could just pick up, 
obviously that's going to cause like, all right, where are they going with this? But when I actually read the book and saw things like when that uh, alien woman stole the ring from Hal, it's anybody can use this ring, but not everybody is suited to the ring. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, that's yeah. so that makes it that, so he has to choose to be a hero. Though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I wanted I wanted to ask sort of about Hal. Um, I mean, for anybody who's hasn't been reading uh, the Green Lantern as like long as we have, um, you know, when Hal was originally introduced in, in 1959, uh, they made him a daredevil test pilot because at the time that was the way to kind of showcase a man of action. Now, in your iteration, you know, Hal has been, you know, he's out in space, he's mining raw materials. And I, I imagine that job is just as dangerous as, say, like an underwater welder. Um, sure. So. Yeah. So how important was this new background for Hal, not just for, like, setting up his character, but for recapturing that initial feel of, you know, a man of action that he originally was portrayed as in, in like, the late 50s? Well, I mean, I think that we're a little bit subverting the idea of the man of action thing. I mean, we're both embracing the kind of, um, like, Silver Age marching orders of Green Lantern to, uh, to make, you know, to, uh, to, to make it a science fiction book. To make mm -hmm. it about, you know, uh, you know, I mean, the the difference between Golden Age Green Lantern and Silver Age Green Lantern is, a, you know, is massive. I mean, you know, Golden Age Green Lantern is, you know, uh, like his weakness is wood. And he <laughs> found it on a, you know, he found the lantern on a train tracks or something. I, I can't remember exactly. But the, <laughs> I'm sure you guys know better than me. But the uh, but like the, uh, you know, there, there's there's a huge shift there and a huge shift sort of sci-fi stuff. So, I mean, we, we both wanted to do that. But at the same time, we wanted to uh, to take Harold uh, to Jordan <laughs> from a place of um, of of not, you know, not being fulfilled and not having uh, not having everything and not being the awesome test pilot that everybody, you know, admires. And, you know, so that he has some place to go and he has something to achieve and he has something to reach for. And I think the corollary to that, too, is that if someone's an astronaut, that's it's sort of like being a fireman. Right. And in, in one one sentence, you can say that somebody's heroic and aiming for something good and doing something selfless. But then by taking that and saying, well, his astronaut uh, days of being uh, like that were past him, and he was doing this kind of menial work that he didn't enjoy. You're both you're you're kind of doing a shorthand for saying he was a guy who desired heroism and was wanting adventure and ended up stuck in a dead end job. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah. And also, I mean, but but one of the one of the corollary things there, one of the things that the um you know that the original conception of Hal Jordan and ours uh you know, share is that he's highly skilled. You know, he's somebody who, uh, you know, who's smart and highly skilled in the in the profession. He has to be if he's an astronaut. Yeah, not everybody gets to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, so he it just it says that he's bringing a whole level of uh, confidence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, you know, uh, to being a green. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like that aspect of it. And it really, really made a lot of sense to me. It, especially the dead end job thing you just mentioned, I just made that connection now. <laughs> but uh, but I gotta I gotta say one of the things I really liked about it is this. I mean, you don't go too d deep into his own personal past, like his childhood and stuff. So one could assume he could or could not have still lost his father in an accident. Uh, but in this iteration, it it makes his personal tribulations a little bit more personal in the fact that something happened. He should have said something, but he didn't. Yeah, and I, we I, I like yeah. that. 
we really specifically wanted to make it about him and not i mean you know if you'll notice you look at superhero origins they're a lot about parents you know <laughs> i mean like and uh you know i i we kind of wanted to we you know since we you know re- practically speaking for us we had 120 pages which then i begged for eight more <laughs> and uh and then you know, a lot of good visuals that you know, to get in there. <laughs> and uh, down to the last minute, I was like, you know, if we just had two more pages, we could, like, you know, uh, but uh, like, they didn't give me those last two pages. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the if um, like we have a very limited space. Right. So we want to hit the ground running. And this is as far as we know at the time, our only shot at this. So like, you know, spending, uh, you know, we we both don't want to spend it didn't want to spend an enormous amount of uh like uh real estate on uh his backstory and stuff but also we like to tell stories where we're asking the reader to engage in a way where they are inferring things about the characters as much as us explaining to the readers about characters and and plus the idea with the ring in this book is it's all about choices so we wanted to make sure that the things in his past were also about, about choices. Yeah, they're and, thematically, uh, yeah, thematically, you know, link it up. Uh, and, link uh, it up. And that, make I mean, it make sense for yeah. him to want to do better. Absolutely. I mean, and if it was about, you know, if the beginning of it was voiceover of him going, oh, man, ever since my dad blew up, you know, I really, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like it just it wouldn't it wouldn't work together thematically. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think I have. These, are, these questions are kind of related. They're, they should be, unlike my last question that had a lot of layers, I don't think these will have as many layers. I only answered one layer of the last one, so if you well, want to come back again. Yeah, well, when you guys come back and we, we do a second interview, we'll come back to that. Okay, okay so the easy part of this is I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the magic word I shouldn't assume. I assume that you, that your pit, you always wanted to do this about how, correct? Well, we yeah, we always yeah, had pitched yeah, it that absolutely. way. Right. I mean, in part because it was, you know, well, honestly, in part it was because we looked at the uh, there we didn't have a hell of a lot of guidance exactly, and we, you know, as you never get any guidance with these things from, uh, you know, in what everybody really wants. So you know, you're always kind of going out on a limb and making assumptions about it. So like we looked at the other books and we're like, well, these are all about the kind of classic characters and so presumably this is about Hal Jordan but when as soon as we thought about that it was important to us that he be the character because we didn't quite feel like this story would work with any of the other characters like we didn't feel like we could exactly tell this story about this guy and the regrets and all that sort of stuff with with one of the other characters that makes sense uh so my so my my follow-up is if you couldn't use Hal who do you think you would have chosen of the of any uh, assuming of one of the well, off screen I, lanterns. I, yeah, John Stewart. I mean, yeah. the because uh, it, but he's so which that sounds than, weird to say out loud. Yeah. Actually, but um, the but he, he's got so he's he's a very different character. He's a very different character, and I don't think it would have been a completely different story. It, it wouldn't be this story. The you know uh, we would we couldn't just place a different character oh, in the yeah. story. It would I have assume that, yeah. Be something else entirely. And I mean, but that's he was Green Lantern when when I started 
reading comics, you know, like that, that, that was the character that, that I knew as Green Lantern, uh, when I started reading. So like, uh, you know, I have a fondness for that character and, you know, I mean, if there, we have no idea if there would be, if there'll be further volumes, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was involved. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, speaking of future volumes and you don't, there, there's no spoilers and nothing's been assigned. So I, I just wanted to ask kind of uh, along the, those lines, we were talking earlier about those other Earth One titles being largely, you know, terrestrial, and, and you guys having the sort of cosmic, the DC cosmic to play to play with, not just the Lantern universe, but the entirety of the DC cosmic, because that's the space that Green Lantern patrols. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah for sure. <laughs> so, 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 given those opportunities, with you know, the whole goal of Earth One just being the reinterpretation of things, what would be some other? cosmic DC characters or alien civilizations that you would believe would be ideal to interpret or reinterpret for this new quote unquote universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for the second one, but for sure, but space cabbie is, is (laughs) you know, serious possibility for, for one of the focal characters. I mean, like he may need a cab at some point <laughs> while out in space, and you know I don't know how all these elements come together, but I feel or like updated to be space lift. Yeah, space lift or yeah, <laughs> space like Uber. That. Space Uber. But the um, I don't. I'm not sure. Like I think that it is true that there's a you know that there's like a wealth of stuff out there, but we don't necessarily have a wealth of space. And so I mean, like literally pages. Right. And so. Uh, <laughs> Um, space. You know, uh, yeah. but well, they could like, be background I, Easter eggs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be other stuff in there. But like our you know what we're we have to to uh, our priority is telling the story of these characters and their thing and like and paying off if we if we do more of it, paying off stuff that we've you know, that we've set up and you know uh and and moving forward with our story that doesn't mean by no means does that mean that we wouldn't be able to uh you know do other stuff and i'm and i know there's other stuff well look there are other there we you know like over and over again try to pitch these hawkman uh like hawk world type books that nobody is interested in doing <laughs> so like it's not like i mean the uh i mean the 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 stuff you know we would you know we like that sort of cosmic stuff and 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 that that's definitely stuff we want to do we also would have to we have to prioritize the green lantern stuff because that's that's oh yeah right oh for sure and and i don't know about the the nobody interested in hawk world because if you check the back issue markets everybody loves hawk world (laughs) (laughs) i love (laughs) but uh uh yeah and i i mean the uh, particularly i like that uh the tim truman uh um miniseries but uh well yeah the, you're, you're talking you're talking to somebody who misses the old school non-superhero adventure books like black hawk the original secret six you know so on and so forth <laughs> oh you mean all the characters that were in action comics weekly <laughs> i wonder why you bring that up <laughs> yeah uh those action comics weekly characters i just i missed the og secret six uh, so yeah. uh yeah yeah no i remember that dan spiegel drew it oh yeah and speaking of fantastic artistic talent uh i wanted to say i personally enjoyed your your artwork on this i i'm not much of an artist by any stretch of the imagination so you can tell me i'm way off base on this but i i, I opened it and i immediately all, sort of got a sean gordon murphy vibe 
So I I, uh, I, 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 mean, I, I don't. That may be just because you know he and I would share influences, but I mean, so that's I mean, you know, the uh, I mean, I, I think that you know, if you uh, you know, for you or or listeners or whatever, if you you know, look up uh, Noel Sickles or uh, or like. Um, you know, and to and certainly like Gene Colan, and I mean, the, like people like that are you know are the people that inspire me, and uh, you know I, um, but uh, you know I'm just trying to do my thing. I mean, certainly there, and I'm sure that I share influences with him. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, we wanted to thank you guys so much for coming up on your time here. We want to thank you so much for taking the time out to to speak with us, and yeah, we no wanted to give you guys both an opportunity to tell us where they can find you on social media and stuff so that they can follow your, your, your works uh, going forward uh, from here on out. Um, I'm Gabriel Hardman art on Instagram and just Gabriel Hardman on uh, Twitter. And I'm Corina Becco on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, whatever else, my website. So, uh, but yeah, so that guys, go out there, definitely follow them, follow their works, and that I imagine that's the best place for them to find out about any future works that you'll be working on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. So thanks so much for showing up on the show, guys, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks no, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. It was very fun. All right. And that was our interview with Gabriel and Karina. Very fun. Very fun interview. That's right. Uh, they had a, uh, a hard uh, time frame that we had to stick to, uh, but I feel like we got most of the questions that uh, were really itching our brains <laughs> uh, asked. So what did you think of that, man? Yeah, I think time – I mean time frame-wise based on – I mean I think we both had a few, uh, some, few little questions related to this particular book that we – would have asked, so maybe next time we will. And there were other questions related to uh, the other more the other things in their uh, catalog of work, which is actually quite interesting. So those would be uh, more, but that's probably maybe better to uh, leave there for another day. Uh, so, but yeah, I think it was. I think it kind of worked out perfectly with the time frame that we had and the questions that we wanted that we wanted to ask. We pretty much got, and we got a lot of cool responses. So that's can't ask for more than that. Yeah, a lot of their responses actually <laughs> immediately answered some of the other stuff we right. had, so we didn't have to feel like we were checking boxes. Um, and, and of course, they were they were both extremely easy to talk to. You guys can very clearly hear how how personable and polite that they were. Just dealing with us um, screw ups. Well, <laughs> me. <laughs> me, I guess. No, uh, as you heard. Stop. <laughs> Carrying on in the grand tradition of Lantern Cast not being able to pronounce people's names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, guys. I'm holding that torch. <laughs> uh, good grief. All right. Well, um, yeah, that was our interview. Guys, definitely uh, go follow Gabriel and Karina um, at their social medias that they mentioned in our, inter- our interview uh, to be kept apprised of any further works from them. Uh, including maybe down the line another volume of Green Lantern Earth One. Um, so yeah, for sure, definitely, definitely uh, reach out to them and and tell them how much you loved it. You know, tell tell us what you thought about it. Um, leave us your feedback on on what you thought of Earth One. This is one of the f- not one of the first, obviously, but uh, one of 
um, the first big Green Lantern things to happen to the franchise in a while. Um, you know, Green Lantern at one point a few years ago was essentially part of the Trinity. Um, so, yeah, we had toys, <laughs> toys and shirts and hats and merchandise. And, you know, that's a big part of the reason that 2011 Green Lantern movie got greenlit in the first place. I mean, you know, the popularity of Green Lantern was such that it was just pervasive everywhere. And not so much lately. So the fact that we got this um, this uh, OG graphic novel here, uh, this the, this original graphic novel, um, and the Green Lantern mythos for us to, to play around with and dissect uh, is pretty huge. So if you enjoyed it, tell DC, tell Gabriel, tell, tell Karina, because... Without telling DC, without telling the creative teams, without sharing your love of this stuff, maybe they won't know it's a big deal. Now, obviously, vote with your dollars. Go out and buy it. But um, beyond voting with your dollars, tell people you're pleased with your purchase (laughs) because that's the only way you're going to get more. Yeah, I I fully agree. I kind of – I'm – now that you open that door, I'm thinking. Remember how we used to get like a, every single month in previews, there would be at least one or two cool new lantern shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't had a good lantern shirt probably in years. Uh, it just we're never gonna get that friggin' Indigo power battery to complete the set. <laughs> it really frustrates the hell out of me. The only reason I went back and bought that stupid sapphire battery was because I didn't want to be – I didn't want to have to, like, track it down after the fact once the set was complete, and that was the only one I didn't pre-order. So I was like, oh, let me go get that one, and they never completed the stupid set. And focusing back on the interview, we have it, – it took a real lot of discipline for us not to ask what their Green Lantern book pitch was because I was dying to ask. <laughs> Because you have to, I hate to say it, you have to think it would be better than at least one of the books that's out there now. <laughs> really, man, I'm really curious. I mean, if we had more time to at least ask him off the, ask him off the, you know, off the record, I would have loved to have found out at least what the pitch was. I'm glad they told us a bit about the that bit about uh, how they pitched uh, a Green Lantern story, and then Dan said, "What if it was Earth One?" Because I was going to be, I was going to ask about how they came across this because, as we know, not saying who, (laughs) um, we know Green Lantern Earth One was already in the works in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Was it officially planned? Was it solicited? There's nothing official. But through the people we know and, and the connections we've made over the years, we heard that somebody was working on a Green Lantern Earth One sort of concept slash pitch, and it wasn't Gabriel and Karina, and it wasn't Hal either. Um, so I was very curious. I'm glad that they told us that it was it was Dan who who pitched the idea of it being an Earth One story. So I'm 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 just I'm curious how that all worked out. Now they they mentioned it themselves. Not every pitch that you make to DC or to any comics publisher, is going to be picked up. You pitch and you pitch and you pitch and you pitch, and if something gets picked up, fantastic. 
But not everything is golden, and not everything that you think is golden, the publisher then turns around and goes, yeah, let's do it. Especially when you're dealing with a company like DC or Marvel, where these are licensed properties, and they want to do certain things with these characters, as opposed to just whatever the hell any creator out there wants to do. Um, so it's entirely possible that the original um, planned pitches for Earth-1 a couple of years ago... Um, uh, the Green Lantern Earth one just fell through. The the pitch that uh, was originally being planned just didn't work out. But they did want to do a Green Lantern Earth one, so that's probably what happened. But I was just curious overall how that how that must have worked out. So that was I'm, I'm glad that they said that that uh, you know kind of Dan Dan swung things in the <coughs> Green Lantern Earth one direction. And for those of you who don't know, Dan DeDio. That's who they. That's who they mean when they say Dan. So. I think they said his name. I think they said his last name. Oh, they did. Yeah, I forgot. I'm pretty sure they said the name. All right. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this before we wrap up this episode? No, it was very, it was very, 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 very fun, and it, it helps, uh, it helps cleanse the palate quite nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Even though next next episode we'll be back to Hal on the core, so at least that'll be that won't that'll be at least somewhat fun to do to wrap up the Zod's Will storyline for sure and uh, are we going to be doing that one episode that I added some files for you to look up soon yes why don't we should I tell should I tell people I don't know I don't know if we should tell people Um, I mean we we, we won't tell them when obviously because we never want to commit to a timetable in case something else pops up but soon-ish go ahead lock yourself out soon-ish because I'm excited for it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys. You know, every now and then to recharge, we have something that has nothing to do with Green Lantern. Um, we've had a couple of those, but that's just because of some movies that have come out lately that we really want to to talk about. Um, <clears throat> but this next, not not the next episode, but coming up pretty soon, the next time we take our, our, our break from Green Lantern to talk about something else we really enjoy, we're going to be doing... First issues. I talked about this a long time ago, that it would be cool if Mark and I um, reviewed and talked about some of our first comics that we ever read. Anytime we talk about how we got into comics, if we're guesting on somebody else's show or something is happening, which we have to kind of recap our origins with comics. I mentioned that that group of five comics that I read and Mark talks a bit about some of his Marvel titles, like Werewolf by Night, and some other uh, so, some other titles, like you were reading Spider-Man quite a bit, um, and stuff like that. So, what if I read some of Mark's first issues, and Mark read some of my first issues, and we reviewed, recapped, and talked about it? That is what we're going to be doing sometime very soon. I'm just calling it first issues. I don't know who... <laughs> If we'll make like a mini series out of it, like we can come back and do it later on and cover some more individual issues we read from different series, but at the very least, it's a spinoff. No, no. <laughs> Although we did talk about a spinoff, so yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. That's that's something for you guys to look forward. I'm really excited about it, but uh, I think Mark can tell because I've been I keep bringing it up <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> Well, let's let's just put it this way: barring anything unforeseen, we'll we'll probably at least record it in April. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm, All right. I'm, try, I'm trying to get Jim to do another pre-birth in April as well. Also because we've it's it's about time to do another at least whether we're gonna do, we're either gonna do pre-birth and have more toy stuff with it since with the demise of Toys R Us, <laughs> the the bell the bells are tolling <laughs> ever so <laughs> more and more every day. Uh, so we wanted to talk about that amongst other things. So and KB Toys is coming back. Yes. Apparently. So we wanted to do. <laughs> So the, so so my my goal was to entice Jim was to say okay we do half the ep like the last time we do half an episode about pre-birth and then we can do the other half about toys, or we may you know maybe we'll just suck it up and just do an actual episode just of toys, but something like that probably will also be recorded in April. So, but that's so that's that's kind of lo- looking ahead besides trying to, trying to keep up as much as possible on the uh, issue. Reviews without killing us. Oh. This means you, Green Lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if people want to reach us uh, and talk about anything uh, with us, including their reactions to Green Lantern Earth 1 and this episode, how do they do so? Lanterncast at gmail.com. That's the best way to contact us. The website, lanterncast.com. Facebook and Twitter are on both. Hashtag GLCast to locate us there. iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern, voicemail. Let us know what you think. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Reach out to us. Tell us what you were thinking about Green Lantern Earth 1. And when you tell us, don't forget, go tell that creative team, go tell DC Comics, because beyond voting with your dollars, vote with your voice. So, all right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.